Welcome back, Inebriates. This is Andy, the Inebriate Podcast. And uh, I'm actually really excited today. Uh, we've had a ton of guests on. And I'd love to say that I am familiar with today's guest because of my children, but that would be a little bit of a lie. Uh, we are talking to Invaders himself, uh, Richard Horvitz. Welcome to the show, man. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm, I'm you know, I got to say my kids were like big Angry Beaver fans and Invader wow. Zim fans. Your kids must be older then. Cause yeah, yeah. Beavers, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, they're, like my son's 19. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my, uh, uh, my oh. oldest son was mentioned in uh, one of the episodes. Uh, I believe it was in the same episode of Tree of Hearts in Angry Beavers where the uh where norbert where daggett's going through the mail and norbert goes hey richard look at this i mean hey Ray daggett look at this richard horvitz had a baby boy jake elliott he was you know born you know april 11th blah 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 oh and that's Dag really goes, cool yeah dad goes yeah who's richard horvitz and norbert <laughs> says, nobody so that kid is now 24 years old oh that's funny i i love and that's one of those things like there was that whole generation of cartoons that I really liked watching with my kids because there was always like weird inside jokes. I remember I was watching um, yes. Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends and they were walking through a uh, bowling alley and it was kind of doing the Flintstones things, you know, couch in a chair, couch in a chair, couch in a chair, Big Lebowski, couch in a chair. And I'm like, whoa. And my kids are like, what? I'm like, I can't even, you wouldn't get it. You know, that goes on more often than you would realize how many things we put kind of subversive or subliminal things in there. Um, it's funny, you know, you talk about it uh, in the early days. There was an episode of Angry Beavers when um, when Norbert says, shut up, Dag. And Nickelodeon was adamant that we do not say shut up. So we had to go in and re-record shut up to hush up. And then they aired shut up anyway. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, and it's like I was watching. They had a. Um... Nickelodeon documentary not too long ago. I saw it on the plane recently. Yeah. Yeah. It was really early, cool. Early years of the splat or something like that. Yeah. And they were kind of like, they just let us do what we wanted to do. And I mean, but what's funny about that is if you look at that documentary, Angry Beavers was one of the early shows, uh, one of the original series for uh, the network. And it's not even mentioned. They rarely mention uh, Angry Beavers. Yeah. I mean, it, it was. I mean, I watched a ton of it with my kids. It was such yeah. a good show, but it was kind of that, you know, the ones that kind of stand out are like the cat dogs and right. And which is um, funny because I, you know, I personally think cat dog is a stupid premise, but <laughs> but um, but we we were before cat dog, right? Yeah, funny, yeah. So you were was it around the time as uh, Rocco's Modern Life? Was that kind yeah. of like the same yeah, era? It was, yeah. We were we were around Doug and mostly uh, Hey Arnold. Hey Arnold mm -hmm. and, and Angry Beavers were kind of uh, at the at the same time. And how did you get involved with Zim? I mean that it is so. It's either one of the. I was trying to explain to a friend today who you were, and I'm like, you either know exactly who, you know, <laughs> Zim and Richard are, or you have no idea it exists. It, it seems like there's no in between. Um, how did I get involved with Zim? Um, well, I think that. I think that when you mention people who who know you or don't know you, they'd be surprised at the characters that you've done that they do know and don't realize that it's me. Like they don't realize I'm Alpha Five on the Power Rangers. Most people. Oh, really? Yeah. See, there you oh, go. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. So no. you were familiar with my characters. You just didn't necessarily put a, a voice to the uh, name. But um, in regards to the Invader Zim show, I was uh, working on Angry Beavers, mm -hmm. and. Um, the creator of the show, uh, the reason I brought up um, uh, Power Rangers, Jonah Vasquez was a fan of Power Rangers and grown, had grown up watching it. Yeah. And so I was at the studio when they came in to do the pilot, but I was doing um, Angry Beavers at the time. And so Jonan wanted me to uh, play Invader Zim, except the executive producer said, well, you know, he's already doing Angry Beavers. And we don't want to have the same voice. And so, no. So they said no. And this is the this is the misconception that's gone on for years, is that it was either going to be um, Mark Hamill or it was going to be Billy West. And so they cast Billy West. Yeah. But I was Jonan's first choice. Um, but because I wasn't available, they went with Billy West. And uh, Billy is still a dear friend of mine. But uh, Jonan 
when Angry Beavers uh, had finished its run, we were done. He said, oh, wait a minute, you're available now. I said, yes. He said, well, let's have you dub over some of Billy's scenes and uh, we'll submit that to New York and we'll pitch it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And like that, I was Zim all of a sudden. Now, the misconception is, is that even Nickelodeon loves to uh, uh, promote it this way as the never before aired pilot of Invader Zim featuring Billy West as Invader Zim. <laughs> oh, you know, of course. Yeah. What people don't realize is that it's not all Billy. Like Billy may start a line, but I'll finish it or I'll yeah. do the whole line. It'll be like Billy's laugh or vice versa. But because I was brought in just to dub over, I didn't get a credit. I didn't get a screen credit for it. Mm -hmm. But that pilot, if you listen to it, 70 to 90 percent of it is me. Yeah. So, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It, it, and it's you must have people kind of like stop and be like, why did you sound so familiar? Do I know you like is it? Well, what a lot of people don't realize is that I started out as an on-camera actor and I still do on-camera work, but I'm predominantly known as voiceover veteran. That's what you'll always mm -hmm. read, voiceover veteran. But uh, I've I've been acting since I was 10. So I've literally been a, a SAG oh, wow. for, for uh, 45 years. And um, uh, I was in a movie called Summer School with Mark Harmon, directed by Kirstie Alley. Was that, was, the, was that the one where the kid went to the bathroom for like yeah. the whole summer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that yeah. one. I played Alan Eakey in The Nerd. I am an Eakey and Grams. So oh, I, man. I remember I vaguely remember that movie. I'm going to have to go back and uh, a lot of people don't know that I was the Green Grapes in the Fruit of the Loom commercials. All those <laughs> music video ones. That yeah. Was yeah. Oh, wow. um, I was in head of the class. I started I, I was a I started in musical theater in professionally at 13. Yeah. Uh, and that was always the path that I thought that I was going to uh, pursue. But because I was living in Los Angeles and doing TV and film and, and you know, commercials, there was no way an agent in L.A. was going to send me to New York for eight months to a year to do a play because it's right. not lucrative enough for them. Uh, so I never I never ended up doing that. I still maintain, you know, when, when there's no pandemic going on, I still do theater every every opportunity I get. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, but that's how I got involved with Invader Zim. So how did you transition from that kind of, you know, screen stage actor to voiceover? It, it, it seems like I see that a lot from voice yeah. actors. Yeah. In fact, any voice actor that, you know, I would say predominantly with maybe the exception of Bob Bergen, who, who well, but I, that's not even true. Bob Bergen uh, also started out on camera or mm -hmm. in bands. Rob Paulson was a singer. Yeah. Um, also did some on camera work. We all started on camera. Um, there's not a lot of us in that day and age where we came up um, mm -hmm. Hanna-Barbera and onward is cable came in and now streaming, et cetera. Um, I don't think that a good majority of us started out to be voiceover actors. Yeah. We all started off on camera, but our voiceover careers really took off. Uh, Tom Kenny, SpongeBob is a perfect example. He and I did a movie together in the 80s and we didn't even know each other. It was called um, um, How I Got Into College. Yeah, I remember he was also in uh, Shakes the Clown. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, well, because he was good friends with uh, with Bobcat and Bobcat yeah. actually directs, you know, too. Oh, so. yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, we both had 80s. You know, I used to say, you know, voiceovers were actors from the 80s go to die. But that was. <laughs> not very fair assessment because it turned out to be like the best choice I ever made in my career. Um, but the transition went something like this for me. Um, I had been doing a television series uh, in from like 1984 to 1986 called um, safe at home for WTBS, which is now just TBS mm -hmm. at Turner Superstation. And then uh, from there, I went on to do Summer School, the movie. And then I came back from that shoot and I did the new Munsters with John Shuck and Lee Merriweather. And I did the it's called the Munsters Today. Yeah. And I as as I, I, I you know, was always working. I was always working in one uh, on camera thing or another. But around 1989 or so, it may be a little bit early, maybe 88. It was 1988. There was a Writers Guild strike. Okay. That Writers Guild strike lasted a long time. Well, it's just as the movie Summer School came out, so I couldn't capitalize on that mm -hmm. uh, because there was a strike going on. So by the time the strike ended, and it was like a six-month strike, Summer School had come and gone. You know, the summer had passed. Um, 
And so I was like kind of at a, you know, a dead end as to what to do, because when that strike finally ended, all of the like A-list celebrities, um, they hadn't been working either. Right. So suddenly, suddenly, this was the, the birth of stunt casting. And stunt casting, as you know, is when they bring in celebrities to do what would normally go to an up and coming, mm-hmm. you know, guest star, co star role. So suddenly those roles became fewer and far between. Yeah. Um, I had bills and a house to pay for and cars and all the rest of it. And uh, I had a dear friend. His name was Michael Cutt, who was on the series with me. Um, Michael was famous for a lot of things, but predominantly he was, remember that Stroh's beer commercial where the, the dogs are playing poker and he goes, watch this, go get us two beers. And the dog gets us beers. Anyway, it's a long time ago. It was from the, yeah. um, Michael was the, was the lead in those commercials and the Stroh's Stroh beer commercials. But anyway, Michael said, you know, our agent, cause we shared an agent, uh, our commercial agent shared an office with a, uh, voiceover agent named Sandy Schnarr. Mm-hmm. And, um, he said, you should talk to her because you got a perfect voice for animation. And um, the thing was, was a lot of what was happening with casting was that they would say he doesn't he doesn't uh, sound like he looks. They would yeah. expect like a like a deeper you know voice from me or something. And it just it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, you hear the helicopter flying over my, yeah, I do. my studio right now. That means that there's probably a car chase going on right outside. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so um, I uh, so just I was totally naive and I went to my uh, I went to my uh, I went to my agent at the commercial agent and I said, hey, can you get me in with voiceover? And they said, well, it's not part of our agency. You'd have to go over yourself and we can introduce you. Yeah. So I met Sandy and Sandy said, uh, well, um, we don't have a voice in your range. It sounds young. So, yeah, we, you need to go make a commercial demo. So I did. And back then it was a reel to reel demo. And I thought, there you go. And she was like, well, you know, you should take classes and everything. But I didn't really I didn't take classes or anything. I recommend it highly these days. But my first uh, month there at that agency, I booked three radio commercial spots. um, And that's how I took off. But it took me about five years to break into animation because Mm -hmm. I didn't have an animation demo. But once I got there. Yeah. I never look back. It's it's my it's my uh, medium. It's my uh, my niche, as it were. And uh, the reason I love animation is because, A, I get to, you know, do what I do when I do it in front of a microphone instead of, you know, in front of a camera. I get a new script every week. I get to work with amazing guest stars and, uh, you know, I get to follow a storyline in, in any like any other television show. Now. When you're doing voiceover, is there any improv or is that kind of like really frowned upon because there's, you know, another person kind of doing the, you know, the movement and all that stuff? Or No, because, um, it, you know, it depends on how you do it. Um, you know, we're talking the difference between like anime. You're kind of glued to what is already drawn because you're just dubbing. Right. Um, but in traditional Western animation, mm-hmm. um, like at Nickelodeon, they do the storyboard after, or they do a preliminary storyboard. It doesn't even matter. You don't even look at the storyboard. You're oh, just, okay. You're just, you're, you know, if you're lucky to work with creators like I was, like Mitch Shower or Jonan Vasquez or um, Maxwell Adams, who did The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, um, mm-hmm. they knew that I was an improviser from way back. I had done, you know, stand up comedy and I'd been in sketch comedy groups like, you know, Natural Gas or the reincarnation of a sketch group called Natural Gas. And so um, it, I'm, it's one of my things that I do. I improvise. And so they want you to do that um, yeah. because, you know, you're working equally on the project together. It's not really a lot of ego involved, you know, when it comes to animation, at least not in, that I've experienced. Yeah. Um, Cartoon Network, when we did Billy and Mandy, they did have a storyboard, but I would improvise up a storm. And in fact, I wrote my wife and I wrote two episodes of Billy and Mandy. Um, but yeah, I've been lucky. In, in fact, the video games I do too. I have one out right now called, um, uh, Psychonauts two that just came out where I play Raz, the lead character. And, um, they love it when I improvise, you know, uh-huh. as long as you don't go off on a monologue. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I forgot all about Grim and Mandy. Yeah. Yeah. Just a billion Mandy. Yeah. yeah. See, there's a perfect example. You didn't think about that one until, and that's yeah. what's great because that's flattering to a voice artist because 
it's great that you don't remember or know that I also did that voice because you don't want your voices to be that that close. Um, right. But you always know it's me. And one, you know, you know, you know, Tom Kenny's voice, you know, Frank Welker's voice. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't prevent us from going into different worlds, as I call it, into different stories, because the animation's different, who we are in those stories are different. And we may sound, you know, very similar. Like if you look at like the game uh, Skylanders, where I play Chaos, that um, is very similar to the, the Invader Zim voice. Yeah. Um, but it's a different world with different wants. And so you follow me into those stories. It, it's like I've always said, uh, if you go to a Robert De Niro movie, um, Robert De Niro sounds the same in Casino as he does in Goodfellas as he does yeah. in anything else. But because he makes the story more important than himself. Yeah. You follow him into that story. It's not different because it's animation. You know, it's you're still taking people on a journey into a different world. So, so do you ever feel the the pressure to kind of like really change your your voice for a specific character? No, no, not particularly. Um, I really don't. I mean, if you, I think my my body of work will prove that. You you know if you if you you know the belief is is you have to have a hundred different voices to do animation. Yeah, and and I don't believe that. I think there are people that can do a hundred different voices, and they're you know they're great. Yeah, they're amazing. But there are also, you know, a hundred different, there's people that can do a hundred different voices that can't act. Right. And so I happen to be able to play pretend and play pretend fully. Mm-hmm. And so my story to me is always more important than myself. And so, you know, I have a, I have a, I have a saying. The saying is the voice does the work of the spirit, which is not a religious statement. It's basically the spirit I'm talking about is the spirit of play. Yeah, we do voices all the time and we don't even realize it. So, for example, if you're going to talk to a baby, mm-hmm. you don't think to yourself, now, what voice am I going to use that lets this baby know that I think it's cute? Hello, right. baby. No, that was- <laughs> we automatically go, hi. Yeah. yeah. I feel a cutie. We do voices all the time. You know, uh, we do the we do like if you have a pet, we do a good bow, good bow, good bow. We do voices all the time right and it comes out of that spirit of play um and so there are times we're on we're on a on a record together and we don't even know what voices we're gonna do um and sometimes like i'll be on on a on a um i'll be on a show with billy west or i'll be on a show with uh tom kenny and they'll go your guys's voices are too close one of you change then we change it yeah you know i could go like this any day and do this if i want to or i can do something like that i can do like anything else but but most of the time, I'm very close to my own voice because, you know, I have a distinctive voice. Right. You know it's me. So, yeah, I, I love the fact that you refer to it as pretend and play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of what I really love about what I do is, you know, I kind of was like, you know, I don't want to grow up. I, I want to do what I want to do. And that's drawing and hanging out with friends and talking mm-hmm. to cool people and, mm-hmm. you know, creating content and I had someone say to me today, um, they said something about um, needing to get a regular job. And I'm like, that's really offensive. I'm like, it because it, it, it implies what I'm doing is not a job that, you know, it's what but, I refer to as middle class mentality. And it was taught to me by my my teacher, my acting teacher years ago. Middle class mentality says you can't be a rock star at 80 years old. Tell that to Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, right? Or even, um, uh, uh, oh God, Christopher Lee, who went and made a head. Lee. Yeah, right. Yeah. But here's the difference. The difference is, is that we, the simple fact that we have to even justify what we've chosen to do as a career, because the mass of people will say, well, you know, so what, you just screw around and you pay, get paid for that? Because we've chosen not to sit behind a desk. Right. Well, the fact of the matter is this. If you go to a fit, I'll give you a perfect example from an actor's point of view. And it's the same with an artist is this. Um, It's very hard for an actor to own that they're an actor. If they cannot point to something they've been in, something they're currently working on or something they've been paid to do. And why is that? Because of something called the family holidays. 
And now the family holidays come along and there's Uncle Joe, who you haven't seen in 20 years. And they say, so, Richard, what are you doing these days? Uh, well, you know, I'm, a, I'm an actor. And they go, oh, you're an actor. Where, where do you wait tables? Oh, what, what, what do you do? Do you just play around all day? Must be nice, right? Yet, what I would say today, if someone said, what's my job? I would say, oh, my job is to play pretend and play pretend fully. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, my job is to play pretend and play pretend fully. It's not to book the job. It's not to get the, to track down the jobs. And that throws people for a loop when I say that. But yeah. the fact of the matter is, if you were watching Meryl Streep in an, in an interview and the interviewer said, so Meryl, what is your job? And Meryl Streep said, oh, my job? My job is to play pretend and play pretend fully. We'd all go, oh, my God. Oh, yes, so insightful. <laughs> you know, it'd be on a yeah. coffee mug. It would be a yeah. meme. It would be on our vision boards. Yeah. And yet you can't think of one time in her entire career from the before she went into Yale to the time she came out from, you know, uh, from Kramer versus Kramer to Sophie's Choice, to the devil wears Prada, where that's all she was doing is playing pretend and playing pretend fully, just telling another story. But the middle class thinking of it is, is like, well, of course, Meryl Street, because she's been paid to do it and she's famous. Right. She's won an award. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes no sense. That's why, you know, other people's opinions of me are none of my business. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And it, it's, it's so funny. It, it, I, I love what you're saying. And, and it made me think of, you know, like, oh, you know, you know, oh, would you just goof around on the Internet or whatever? And like, yeah, I goof around on the Internet harder than anyone else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, who said I mean, we've just set up these confines and structures that says that, you know, unless you can prove your worth by money. Mm -hmm. and fame and success, then you shouldn't be doing this. But as my mentor used to say to me, my teacher, Diana Castle, used to say to me, um, if, you met her, if you never made a dime at this, would you still do it? As an artist, you know you would. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's not even a so, question. So, I mean, it's not even a question. Now, I argue you wouldn't be able to not do it. You know, like it's, no. you couldn't stop yourself. Listen, you know, you do what you have to do to do what you love to do. Right. So let's say you want to be an actor or you want to be an artist, but, you know, jobs are scarce. So you take a day job and you can hate that day job. And you can be exhausted and have the worst day in the world. But you know that at 7 p.m. you're going to play rehearsal for a new play or you're about to do a, a, a drawing, you know, a drawing get together. Right. Yep. And you know that immediately you're awake and you're like, it's like the day is starting all over again. Because it's what you love to do. So you yeah. do what you have to do to do what you love to do. And I yeah. believe that. Yeah. Absolutely. And in, and it's when we run events and stuff, it, it's, you know, I, I do the nine to five part where you, you're promoting and sending out emails and, you know, that kind of crap that you have to do in order to have those events. And, you know, yesterday we ran one. It was a beautiful day. We we're outside. It was gorgeous. And, I, I said to my partner, I'm like, I love everyone here. And he's like, are you drunk? And I'm like, no, man, I just, it's a great day. Like it's beautiful out. Everyone's happy, you know? And it, it was kind of like revitalizing, just kind of remembering like, oh yeah, I do this because I love it. Well, I mean, from a, from an actor's point of view, especially in voiceover, you spend about 98% of your time doing the business of doing business mm -hmm. and only getting about 2%, if you're lucky of the time to do what it is you say you do. So it's very difficult to not get confused with the business of doing business and think you're in the business yeah, and actually getting to do what you say you do. So how, you have to go ahead. How do you kind of do that? That 98% like what keeps you going for the, the parts that you don't want to do? Well, so I've been very fortunate. You know, I've been doing this for like, you know, 30 years now. And, you know, the jobs that are right for me, you know, I'm very lucky. A lot of times, you know, creators or producers will come directly to me. Mm -hmm. The other ones that I have to audition for, um, you know, either I'm right or I'm not right for them, but there's nothing I can do about that. So that 98% of the time um, is when I've done all that I can do on my part, you know, send out emails or, you know, uh, inquiries. I let it go and I do. And I remember that that I it's more important to me to be surrounded by expression. Yeah. And so that's why I continue to do plays if I'm in a if thing, if work is slow 
I continue to go to museums and concerts and everything where I'm around people who are constantly expressing because that's what I want to be a part of. That's why I join theater groups. And that's why, you know, um, I do tape, I do uh, play readings at my house with like a salon of friends because that is the life that I've all, I always wanted. Right. And I've been very fortunate that I've been able to do that and support a family and, you know, send my kids to college and et cetera, et cetera. So I never take that for, for granted. I think that's a really great sentiment where you're saying you go to museums and, and concerts and stuff, because part of what this whole podcast has grown to be is, you know, I may draw, someone else may paint your voice actor. We have chefs on comp creators. We're kind of all the same people. We just have our own different, yeah, you know, outlet. Right. Because we have a tendency to refer to artists as people who draw or paint or, or, but we're, we're artists in, in the way we approach things. The, you know, an artist of, you know, fixing windows, for example, mm-hmm. I see someone who can, I'm not kidding. I see someone who can do uh, you know, a caulking line on a window yeah, and put that putty in there just so cleanly and neatly. And I'm like, wow, that is artistry. Have you ever tried <laughs> to do that? Uh, Have you ever yeah. taken a putty knife and try, you always end yeah. up leaving some line yeah. as the putty life line goes down. And I'm like, wow, I wish I could do that. What do they say? They, they say that's what, like that 10,000 hours of, of working on your craft. Yeah, that's uh, what, what Malcolm, what's his name, his book, um, Outliers. Yeah. Outliers says 10,000 hours. And I, I believe that. But there's other things in that book in terms of uh, the like for sports, it depends on the time of year you're born and what group you come up with. So like if, 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 you, if your kid plays baseball, but he's born before the cutoff, then that means he'll be playing mm. older with younger kids and be the star of that team. And vice versa. So. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah it's, yeah, it's an interesting book. Malcolm Gladwell. That's yeah. Outliers. Is there that kind of thing with acting or voice acting where it matters who you come up with? Is there like, you know, so for example, I know like there'll be groups of the Groundlings or SNL that seem to exceed everybody else. So does it, is there something about working with a group of peers that pushes you? Um, I don't think that it pushes me as much as it allows me to have fun with people who want to have fun in the booth. Yeah. Um, I, I can name right off the top of my, my, like the top of the bat. Uh, I could say five people that I love being in a room with. Number one is Charlie Adler. Mm-hmm. He's fun, whether he's directing or he's playing with me in the booth. Fun, fun, fun. Um, I love being in the booth with, uh, well, Frank Walker, perfect example. I love being in the booth with Frank, just an easygoing, really just a fun guy to play with. Billy West is fun to play with. Yeah. Um, and so it's not like, you know, a rap battle. Like, here's your thing. Here's my thing. Right. Yeah. But it can be because it does, you know, when you see someone playing, it allows you to play. It just, it's like when you go out with friends for, you know, dinner and drinks. And you're laughing and you're all at loudest people in the in the um, in the in the restaurant and you're having a great time. And then you look around and everyone's gone because the staff is waiting <laughs> to go home. Yeah. That's what it's like to me to work in the booth on both sides of that glass is that it's it just you disappear into the hours like you do when you have a great you know night out with your friends. Is there like a friendly competitive to kind of like crack your friend up or, or, you know, kind of tag their line a little better. Like, is there kind of that little um, com- competition? No, no, not really. Um, not really. You're just having fun doing your thing, you know, and yeah. you're still giving to others. Cause that's kind of my thing is that you always want to be giving uh, to the others that you're playing with. You, yeah. I, I think the best example I've heard of this ever was I had gone to the, um, the AFI induction of Robert De Niro into the AFI. Okay. And uh, I was sitting at a table with uh, 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 Danny Elfman and Bridget Fonda at the time. 
uh, Danny had done the music for summer school and yeah. he said, Oh yes, that but was Danny Elfman did the music for summer yeah. school. Yeah. He goes, that wow. was my, okay. he goes, that was my summer uh, era. I did back yeah. to the beach, summer school, back to school. So oh, everything was funny. Was, that was just that period of his life. So we, we had a good laugh about that, but James Woods got up to induct or just to do a speech about Robert De Niro. Yeah. And they had done a movie years ago and it's one of my favorite movies ever it was called um once upon a time in america okay and it's a great movie if you haven't seen it but in this story you know spoiler alert in this movie um robert de niro and james woods grow up together as like you know kids on the street doing petty crimes and eventually they graduate to being their own kind of uh mafia Mm -hmm. at one point robert de niro gets busted and goes to jail and the movie kind of picks up. He plays a character called Noodles as he's being released from jail and, you know, being, you know, working his way back into this gang, this, this mafia. So what ends up happening is there's a, there's a bank heist that goes horribly awry. And three members of the gang, including uh, James Woods, yep. they're, they're burned to death in this in this firebombing of the bank and they catch them and they're they're dead so like 20 years goes by and one day uh robert de niro who did not do the 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 heist with them Mm -hmm. he gets an invitation to this guy's uh fundraising thing uh because he's going to run for office and this guy is exceptionally wealthy and robert de niro shows up and it's james woods so James Woods had faked his death and Robert De Niro knew that. Yeah. So it wasn't a surprise to him. The reason I mentioned this story is because the day before they were about, I'm sorry, the week before, and like it was Monday, like four or five days before they were about to shoot the scene where Robert De Niro sees James Woods for the first time after about 20 years. Robert De Niro goes up to James Woods and he goes, you know, I was thinking, yeah. Um, you should go to uh, makeup and have them make you a teeth appliance, like really nice teeth. Because, because when people get money, the first thing they do is fix their teeth. So A, this was brilliant because ro- that's how Robert De Niro thinks. He's thinking story at all times, which yeah. like I said is more important. And James Wood says, that's a great idea. Now this is James telling this story at the AFIs. And he goes to makeup and the makeup chiller says, that's a great idea. Unfortunately, to get it done by Friday, we we would have to put a rush on it. And and to get this teeth appliance, it's going to be ten thousand dollars. And that's just not in the budget. Right. So he goes, OK, Friday, James Woods comes into the trailer to put, get his makeup put on. And there's the teeth appliance. And he said, I thought we couldn't afford it. And the, and the head of the makeup department said we couldn't. Bobby paid for it himself. Wow. So. James Woods goes up to Robert De Niro and he says, Bobby, why did you do this? It's 10,000 bucks out of your pocket. And Robert De Niro says, because if you look good, we all look good. And that's how I feel about working with my, my friends. Yeah. If I'm having fun, nothing's more important than that you feel good. And that's not a selfish thing because if you feel good, then everyone around you will feel good because you're having fun playing. Just like kids when you're on the playground, you know? Yeah. And you're all going to, you're all going to be more into it and, and, you know, kind of, yeah. it'll be easier more or less. That's exactly what I refer to as work is the playground. Yeah. You know, I love even that. when I go in for auditions, which I call opportunities to play pretend yeah. or callbacks, I call them second opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll have a, I'll have a great take. I'll have fun. And, uh, and I, I will enjoy that because nothing's more important than I feel good and mm-hmm. have a good time and have fun with what I did because I have no control over the rest of it. I have right. no control over uh, who wants to hire me or if they do or they don't. You know, I can't spend my life trying to please everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll have a great take. And, you know, I'm laughing. The producers are laughing. The creator's laughing. And more often than not, the the cast and director said that was great they go well do you want to try a take two and more often than not i'll say you know if i were on the playground right now that's how i would play that's how i would play unless you have some way you'd like to direct me towards i'd love to give it a shot yeah 
And more often than not, they say, you know what? We love that one. And I'm like, great, me too. And I walk out and I walk out. But most actors feel that they have to stay in front of them as long as they can to show them everything they can do. But then you do a second take and it's exactly like the first take. And it's like telling the same joke twice. Yeah. Or or worse, maybe it's not as good. And then that's the one they're going to remember. There you go. Yeah. So we, we mentioned streaming very briefly, but you know, it's, it's more and more and there's more um, content created just for streaming. And do you, is there in, interest in your part where the, there's things like um, uh, invincible, that's more of an animated thing geared towards adults is that something that's on your radar is like something that you want to do? I'm currently doing a show right now, um, which has a huge fan base following. Um, it's called hell of a boss and it's on YouTube right now. Okay. And it's created by a woman who's amazing. She did it all by herself. It is network quality animation that she raised the money for and she created, produced it, did the art you'll see. Yeah. Um, and another one called has been hotel. Her name is Vivian Medrano and online she's Vivzy Pop. So I'm currently voice directing um, that show and, and one of the stars of the show of uh, hell of a boss. Yeah. Our the, the caliber of our star list and you go YouTube. Yes, we have huge names on it. She'll put up an episode on uh, on a, you know, a Saturday or Sunday by the end of the day, it has over a million views. And by the end of the week, it has anywhere from 15 to 30 million views. Wow. Which is more than any network or, or streaming or anything else. Um, and so I love it because it, she just said, hey, I'm going to do this myself. And she did it. And her fan base, look it up. Hell of a boss. I'm definitely going to do that. And has been hotel has been hotels. The other one. I gotta yeah. write that down. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I do that. I do. You know, I, as far as streaming platforms are concerned, um, I have a love hate with the st- relationship with the streaming platforms. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, it's, it's good work. And the residuals are, you know, if, you know, in a good project, the residuals are kind of comparable to cable residuals, mm-hmm. but I actually sold a, uh, I sold a, um, a show to a streaming service and uh, they, they fronted the money for the pilot. But when you pitch to the streaming services, right, mm-hmm. um, they want you to come in there and give them the first three seasons. They want to know the cliffhanger in season one, what's happening in season two, and what's happening on season three. And the reason for that is, is because through their research, they have discovered that if someone is going to binge a show, they will not watch the show if they've missed the first three seasons. They will not binge it. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. So now you know why. How come that was only on three seasons? Why was that only on three seasons? That's the reason. The other reason I have an issue with, with streaming is that... Um, we are so inundated with content now that it's very difficult to really stand out. Yeah, for sure. First of all, streaming will not advertise your show. Netflix, you ever notice? Netflix will advertise themselves and right. maybe include a clip of, you know, you know, Shit's Creek or whatever. But there is no advertising for one particular show. Hmm. Yeah, now that you say it, like they don't run nope. ads on network TV for Stranger nope. Things. Not at all. Huh. They'll show it in like a montage of all their shows. Right, right. Yeah. But it's not specifically promoting your show. In fact, they want you to promote it. They want yeah. you to use your fan base and they send you all the, you know, the ads and everything they want you to put on your social media. Yeah. So that's the first thing that drives me nuts about streaming. The second thing is, it's just from a personal point of view. Um, what we lose in streaming is the collective water cooler thing that we grew up with. Mm-hmm. So if you, you knew with three network channels, even when cable came along, it still was the same way. We were all watching the same thing at the same time, which right. drew us closer. Now, some will say, 
hey, have you seen the show? No, I got to write that down. And I never get around to watching it. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, I got to see that. Right. Um, and I can't remember where I left off on that show because, you know, it does eight shows. Boom, done. And, you you know, you go. And then you never show. go back and talk to that person. No. Yeah. Right. And the other thing I, is, I, I got to say, that's what I like about how they're doing. I, they do with the Mandalorian. They do yes, with the boys. They do an episode a week. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I agreed, love that. Agreed. And, and yeah. I, when it started, I'm like, oh, God damn it. I hate this. I want to. And yes. then I'm like, no, it, it, it gets me looking forward to mm-hmm. watching the next episode. I'll yeah. sit down with friends and be like, have you seen it? We'll like discuss yeah. ideas. And it brings yeah. that little bit of excitement back to it. But the other thing is this. The thing that that really bothers me the most about it, because so much of my childhood was spent in front of a television set. Yeah, uh, my favorite show was Get Smart. I loved Get Smart. Um, I loved obviously the Brady Bunch and Gilligan's Island, and Island mm-hmm. Lucy, and all those shows. But the thing is, if you take, um, if you take Brady Bunch as an example, we were growing up as they were growing up. Yeah. So as the Brady kids got older, you would have to wait a week, and there was no reruns. You know, you were lucky in the summer if they rerun them. And now you can watch them all at once. Right. So there's not that journey that you take with them. Now, if you go to AMC and you look at a show like uh, Mad Men, mm-hmm. we take that journey with them. Better Call Saul, we take the journey with them. We are aging as they are aging, and times are changing for us as time is changing for them. But now I can watch all, you know, 10 episodes of Cobra Kai and I'm done in, an, in a day. In a day. That's really, you know what? That's really interesting. And I'm, I'm curious to see how my kids are nostalgic. Because I feel like once you hit your 20s is when you start to get nostalgic about the things you grew up on. And how are they going to be nostalgic? Because the things when they were younger, they could binge watch, which, you know, like you like you said, like. A season was a season, not a season, a day. That's right. I'm really curious. See, that's really, really interesting. I'm curious to see how that like unfolds. Right. Because as the Brady kids got older, we were getting older. Yeah. And we were the same age as they were. And we couldn't wait for the new fall lineup to come out to see the new openings to the series and how they've modernized it, which is why, by the way, I absolutely loved um, WandaVision. Because I'm oh, a TV fan. WandaVision's so good. Love it. So I good. have my I have my issues with everything. I'm very I'm like I'm like I'm not critical about people's play pretend time. I yeah. totally mean that. I don't believe that someone is good or bad, right or wrong. I just believe in playing, right? Yeah. But judgmental about things that drive me crazy. As much as I love WandaVision, the whole military aspect and and the girl from Two Broke Girls. That whole storyline was so underdeveloped that you don't even care about them. They were just saved as an as a uh, as a conflict for the end of that. Right. But the brilliance of the of the the filming and the storyline and that I I'm a Marvel fanatic, so that's as am I. Yeah. <laughs> but Falcon and the Winter Soldier, best one of them all. I actually really cried, cried at the end of that one. Wow. Why? Epic in its in its filming, epic, yeah. epic in this in the in the in the uh, stunts and the graphics and everything about it was like very movie quality. I'll the agree story, with that. Yeah. The story of the racism, yeah, was really powerful, really sure. powerful. Okay. Um, now, do I think the Falcon should be Captain America? No, but I didn't write the comic book, so right. <laughs> I have no say in it because to me. The Falcon will always be. Uh, Falcon. Yeah. 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 It, it's interesting. I think. Well, Captain America will always be. Um, Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers. Yeah. yeah always. I, I think it's one of those. If it came out in a different order, I think I would have liked it more. And I didn't dislike it. Yeah. But WandaVision was so weird and unusual. Yeah. And Captain. uh Winter Soldier and Falcon felt more of a throwback to just a standard action movie. A standard Avengers movie, say, three in. And then it went to Loki, which was like this crazy Marvel Doctor Who story. And I'm like, these are amazing. And I think it was just more 
that that's where everyone like everyone loves Loki. I just I, I haven't I haven't even finished it. I haven't gotten through it yet. Because, oh, I thought so it was just, so good. Yeah, I've never been like a huge fan. I mean, not 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 of um the actors, but of yeah. the Loki storyline. Even Thor was okay, but I am so judgmental about what I consider a superhero. And and See, my friend my friend Ricky Simons and yeah. I have this discussion all the time. Ricky plays Gurr on Invader Zim. Yep. And uh, I am very adamant about what a superhero is versus what a vigilante is. So. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a limb and I'm going to say, we're going to agree on this, but go ahead. All right. Let's take Iron Man. Okay. Okay. Iron Man is brilliant. He's yep. genius and has a lot of money. So yep. does Bruce Wayne. But if Don Cheadle can take a suit and learn how to fly it and then train <laughs> an entire army of Iron Man, you know, people wearing a suit. Yeah. then it's the suit. And people say, well, he's brilliant. OK, but does that make him a superhero? He yeah. has to have super powers. Okay? OK, I see what you're saying. Batman vigilante yeah. vigilante, not a superhero. See, I know people are going to hate me for this. My my argument is always Punisher, not a good guy. No, he's not a good guy. He's a serial I, killer. Yeah. Well, OK, if you want to go that route, I'm sorry. First of all, Darth Vader, Luke finally turns him to the the light just as he's dying and all is forgiven. And it's like, you did it, Luke. You did it. You turned a murderer of younglings. <laughs> yeah. Of younglings. Yeah. He murdered children. And we're supposed to go, oh, yay. He, he's it, back. It's it's so funny how we can, like, blank out those, like, major character flaws. I remember yeah. this is going back. We were watching um, uh, Game of Thrones. And my sister's like, Oh, you know, I'm starting to like Jamie Lannister. I'm like, didn't he rape his sister on his son's yeah. corpse in the last episode? And she goes, well, when you put it that way. <laughs> didn't Jamie Lannister kick Bran out of the window yeah. of the tower like, and paralyze him? person. Yeah. Of course, that that's what they want to do. They want to yeah. manipulate you. But yeah. don't even get me started with the end of Game of Thrones. That show I loved until the end. I was like, what? I think everyone was what? that way. Yeah. Um. But I'll give you one that drives me crazy. Okay. They should have known with the way they ended Lost that J.J. Mm -hmm. Abrams should never have had anything to do with Star Wars. <laughs> do, do you see a shift in, because I feel like we're roughly, we're in the same age bracket. I feel like 95 and 10 years, 12 years after that, everyone hated the prequels. I still hate them. But I feel like suddenly in the past, like three or four years, it's that nostalgia. The kids that grew up on the prequels are starting to be like, well, the prequels aren't bad, but these new ones are terrible. I take them for what they are. Yeah. So I, I, I did not like Phantom Menace because to me, that was all about look what we can do with graphics and look at our computer designs and look at all these things that we can make, you know, look amazing. But what I felt was sacrificed was story. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, you know, I never thought the acting was great in any of them, to be honest with you. I didn't think the acting was great, but the hero's journey, you can never go wrong with, you know? Yeah. Um, but I did not like Phantom Menace. Um, I, 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 I don't hate, I don't hate the prequels. I don't, you know, Jar Jar Binks is annoying. I'll give everyone that. But I really do not like the, the last ones, the last three. They, hmm. first of all, I'm going to tell you why. And I'm so adamant about people. Okay, no, go I'm on. very opinionated about this. Yeah, love it. They made things up. They just changed the rules of the force. The first thing is, is that the force is around all of us. We can all learn to tap into the force, right? It's a religion, right? It's the yeah. Jedi's. But suddenly you've got a kid that can move a broom because he's using the force. Wait, how were you trained? Luke couldn't do that <laughs> until he learned to do that. But you, a five-year-old kid, you're born with the force like X-Men? No, 
<laughs> no. Second. Star Wars, the 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 first one, the the first, this last, the first of the last three that JJ did. Yeah. Is basically about a bus stranded in space. It's a bus stranded in space. Now, not only does that bother me, but suddenly Leia can fly through space because she's learned the force. Where did that come from? I hated that. It, I, I really hated that. And it yeah. looked bad. Like even yeah. story aside, it didn't visually look good. I'm like, no. that looks so stupid. And I'm sorry, Luke turned his father, right? Yeah. The 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 killer and murderer of younglings, right? Towards the light and saw the good in him still. But I'm sorry. His nephew is he's got to kill the nephew and give up everything that he's done his entire life because he was just so bad. It, the, the one that killed me about that movie or the thing that killed me about that movie was had Poe just followed orders and listened. Yeah. It would have never like the movie wouldn't have happened. It was because some guy was an asshole and didn't right. pay attention. Yeah, because right, he, he couldn't be a clown. He couldn't yeah. be a clown anymore. <laughs> but he couldn't be a stormtrooper rather. But the other thing is, is that one, I don't ever need to see uh, Harrison Ford run ever again. <laughs> two, don't watch the new uh, new uh, Indiana Jones. Two, he's still wearing the same exact clothes. Yeah. Three, yeah. Right. Yeah. Three. He's still hanging around the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Four, they don't learn anything and all that they went through to let this empire rise again. Yeah. Five, it was so disrespectful the way they killed Han Solo. It was so disrespectful to the whole storyline, the canon. Oh, I'm going to just throw him over the edge. And don't even get me started with the emperor being alive suddenly. Yeah. And then the greatest of all. Okay. Greatest of all is this. They make this whole thing. Look for the guy with the lilac in the casino. Yeah, that was so stupid. Then nothing happens. Yeah. He has nothing to do with it. Yeah. There's no follow through. There's nothing. But then remember this. And there was stunt casting with Benicio Del Toro. There you go. Now, if you think of every Star Wars movie, we, you know, arguably through time, uh, Empire Strikes Back is the best of all of them. I Absolutely. Will grant that. Yeah. I will grant that without a doubt. The problem is, is that even with that ending in a cliffhanger, right? Mm-hmm. They still had some victory, right? right? Yeah. At the end of each one, there was some victory. They blew up the Death Star in the first one. Yeah. Spoiler alert. They, you know, <laughs> they, they got away and they lived to fight another day in Empire, right? Yeah. Luke learned to learn to, you know, meet Yoda, right? Yeah. Now, this first one of this new batch, it's just everything, nothing turned out for them. Nothing worked out. There wasn't one good thing that happened in that whole thing. But see, I, I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, because one of my favorites of all the new stuff they've done is Rogue yeah. Squadron. And there's no happiness in that. <laughs> but, no, but I'll but I'll tell oh, you well, why no, that they get works. The plans. They get the plans. But I will tell you yeah. why that works, because that was a war picture. Yeah, that yeah. Was it was the best was, World was War II picture movie. I've seen in a long time. And, and they were outside of the main character story. Yeah. Story. So that did have an ending. They died. Rightly right. so. Yeah. Right. I'm talking about the first. I'm not talking about the the offshoots. Yeah. I'm talking only about the The core story that they're trying to shove into the canon. And I'm sorry. If if. uh, If if you have this this power that Ray and and Darth or whoever, whatever his name is, played by Adam Driver. Oh, uh, um. If you didn't say that, I'd know who it was. Um, oh, crap. Yeah, I, I know who you're if talking they about. They can communicate and be in the same room planets away. Which never happened before. Close enough to rip the necklace off of her. Then why couldn't Darth find the rebel? Darth Vader find the rebels? That was but his own kids. Find. That was his own kids. Yeah. 
I hate that. That is making <laughs> things up. Ugh, this has nothing to do with Invader Zim. It now, does you know, not. <laughs> but I love how wound up you are about it. I am wound up about it. I've done <laughs> conventions where I have taken on people because it drives me nuts. It takes me out of the story. That's the other thing. That is that, the other it's that passion of playing pretend and but, like, but I love they, this, but they disney this one too. Oh, yeah. look, I just kicked some dirt and I happened to find this key lying in the dirt. It, it, to me, it was the uh, Pokemon aspect of it where we're going to like put in these, you know, crystal foxes and these weird little creature things to just be like, that's, we're just making stuff to sell you. It's just like, it's like, oh, what is this? What is this in the dirt of this cave? What is it? A key? I know how to use that. We got to put it <laughs> on this microscope and, sh- you know, and, yeah. and sh- match it up. It's like a video game. Yeah. That's yeah. the Disney aspect that drives me crazy. That's funny. Anyway, what questions do you have? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. Um, well, what are you working on now that we can uh, promote, help promote for you? So I'm, I'm assuming boss. it's not a Star Wars thing. <laughs> no, it will not be. Not, not in this lifetime, apparently. But um, Hell of a Boss yeah. is going on right now. Um, I, my new video game, um, Psychonauts 2, just got released. Uh, and I have another game that I did this uh, year called um, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, where I play Zerky Jr., Zircon Jr. And uh, I continue to work on The Loud House as Morpheus uh, and just a lot of stuff going on. I also I also coach voiceover. I also teach oh, voiceover. Cool. So some of the things that you've heard me talking about are things that I talk about to my yeah. students. Um, and uh is there like a website for that or, yeah. you know, you, if you're interested in classes, you can go to Richard Horvitz classes, plural mm-hmm. at gmail.com. And also uh, you can go to my website, richardhorvitz.com. That's awesome. I, I love that kind of passing it on aspect. Thank you. So we had, uh, God, it was probably about a year ago. Now we had doc hammer on mm-hmm. and I'm a huge venture brothers fan. <laughs> yeah. And I've always tried to not. I try not to ask the same stupid questions that everyone else asked. Mm-hmm. I got to the end of that interview and Doc is like, you didn't ask me to do any of the voices. And I'm like, <laughs> no, man, like, I feel like, I don't know. You're not a performing monkey. He's like, it's like, listen, he's like. I used to feel that way. He's like, until I met other voice actors that I idolized and loved. And all I wanted to hear them do was the voice. So can you give us an Invader Zim sign-off? Sure. Eh. Eh. Ah. I am Zim. Why was there bacon in the soap? (laughs) (laughs) Outstanding. Richard, this is an absolute pleasure. Um, Anytime you want to vent about Star Wars, you're welcome back (laughs) on the show. That was great. I could could go on and on about my favorite Marvel. I love the X-Men franchise. Love it. How do you feel about them coming to the MCU? Are you feeling good about that? Is it going to be a bad thing? I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to withhold my judgment on that because I try, I tend, I only tend to judge things once I've witnessed them. Okay. That's fair. I will say this. I can say that I thought X-Men three with the, the, the bridge and that whole thing Mm -hmm. that it jumped the shark on that for me. But the very first one, amazing. I loved uh, X-Men first class. Amazing. Likewise, I loved Star Trek first generation. I mean, Star Trek, the first movie, right? Yeah. The, the, um, with the one with Chris Pine. Chris Pine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect casting. Wonderful. Loved it. Then they go to the second one. And it's is the second one the, where the Beastie Boys won the day. I can't remember the now. The second one is, is Khan, who is oh, Benedict right, right, Cumberbatch. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Khan is a Native American played by Ricardo Montalban. And it wasn't even a mission, you know, our our mission, our, you know, four year mission to explore a new world. Right. It was a vengeance. Yeah, that's all it was. It's so funny. I saw that movie and then me and my friends just kept referring to it as Star Trek running and crying with hats because that's all they do in that movie is run, cry and they wear hats. Yeah. But the first one, when they're going through the academy, yeah, uh, that was brilliant. You know, uh, uh, Kinto as as uh, Spock, mm-hmm. perfect cast. Oh yeah, really good. Yeah, and um, God, 
I'm blanking on his name, Bones. Um, right. He was wonderful. Oh, no, he's him. he's great in everything him. he does. Like yeah, I love yeah, that dude. Yeah. yeah. He was best he... best Judge Dread. Yes. 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 Oh, yes. So good. Yes. All well, right, Richard. Fun. <laughs> yeah, we can nerd out anytime. Uh, All you're right. Welcome back on the show. Thank and, you. And uh, thanks to our listeners. Uh, please check us uh, out again next week when we'll have someone else. All right. Thanks, Richard. See you next time. Thank you. And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, if you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash inebriart to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at inebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns, or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Inebriart Network, which you can find at inebriart.com. Thanks again for listening.